In today's episode of A Woman Redefined, Allie and I talk about one of our favorite and hardest roles, the role of being a mom. We share our stories of being single moms, blending families, and rediscovering ourselves as we learn to find our own parenting style. Our authentic conversations around being single moms and the lessons we learned starts now. Hi, everyone. It's Allie Hi, and Tanya. Everybody, <laughs> welcome back. We're so, so happy to have you with us today. We have a great conversation. Tanya and I, you know, when we became friends and we started really talking, we discovered we have a lot of things in common that we didn't know. One of them is not our height. Nope. Which is funny because we're a whole, almost a whole foot apart in height. (laughs) But what we did find one of the things that we have in common is we were both single moms. And we each have a different single mom story. And for all you single mamas out there, we thought this is a great conversation and there's a lot to bring to the table. So here it goes. Don't you really think that by us becoming single moms, it really shaped who we are today. It shaped the view we have of the world. It shaped the relationship we have with our kids. It really shaped and helped me put into perspective what was important at that moment in time. A hundred percent agree with that. And I also learned in my experience that what I was willing to put into a relationship again with somebody else, a partner, and what I would not allow anymore. It really did help wake me up to what mattered, not only as a mother, but as, as a woman. Exactly. I kept, and when, before I met Tom and I was dating, you know, I kept, I didn't, my kids didn't meet a lot of the guys I met, I dated and primarily they were young. And I just knew that the next, the people my kids met, I wanted to really role model healthy relationships because I really feel that their dad and I didn't get a chance to model a healthy relationship because my kids were one and three not even Lydia was not even three when Quentin and I separated I mean they don't have any memories of us together at all and so I really wanted them to be able to see me in a healthy relationship and that was something really important when I was dating and when I you know was one willing or if I was willing to take someone to the next level was, can I model, is is this a healthy enough relationship to model for my kids? I'm just thinking like, what an amazing statement you just made. Like it's such, that's so good. And and to, to give people a little bit of insight and a look into the differences between our single motherhoods, you had an ex-husband who was local. Correct. Yep. Okay. My ex-husband, my first ex-husband was we, Lizzie was born in Arizona. That's where we were living. And 
when I got diagnosed with MS, she was only a year and a half old. And so, you know, the process started when she was just three months old, mm-hmm. two, three months old when I started to get sick. And we were already going through our divorce. It was, I, you know, I stayed there because he was there and I wanted her to know, wanted her to know who he was, not just by a picture. Because right. I grew up a product of divorce. We were the How same. did I? Lizzie and I were the same age, basically, uh, when when I split, her father and I split up and my parents separated. So it was just an interesting way it happened. And when she was three, she just turned three, um, and our divorce had been finalized, I made the decision to come back to Philadelphia to be near family because I didn't have anybody else there in Arizona. I didn't have any other friends. I mean, I, and I need, I was sick. I needed to be and around. Were, I, I needed the support. I needed the, the support and people around me to help physically with her care, as well as, you know, I just needed that support emotionally. So I ended up moving back to Philadelphia when Lizzie was three and started her in preschool in Philly. And that was a real challenge because her father, you know, had built an incredible career while we were in Arizona and he was doing, you know, his life was in a really good place and to financially be able to provide for her, his job was there. Right. So it was a really hard decision for me to make to on the, on that side of being the mother and separating my daughter yeah. from parent. And it was really hard for him. And I had a lot of anger issues. Like, why not come back? Your whole family's here. But the truth was he made a responsible decision to be able to provide for her by being there. Right. And, you know, they built their own relationship from a distance. So, but I was a sole physical presence. So I didn't have weekends off or days off or nights where I wasn't woken up with a ch- Like I was the sole physical parent in her presence for her existence. And she's going to be 21 in a month. So, well, not only that, but you were the sole provider and learning to live with your MS. Yes. Right. Like you not only had to worry about the health of your child but in the back of your mind you had to worry about what am I doing to take care of my own health so I can be there for my child because she solely depends on me that's that's a lot for you to carry it was a lot to carry but I have to tell you it's all I know you know you you get to my mom taught me something when I was young she used to say you get 24 hours of a pity party that's it. And she was always good with that. That's it. <laughs> and then you get up, you get dressed and you get up, get going. And the truth was I didn't have the option. I remember when, before I had moved home to Philadelphia to give people like a, an example of what it looked like, I was volunteering at Lizzie's preschool and I got, you know, all the kids were sick. It was like December and I got, I got sick. And when you have MS, you don't get just a cold you get it lingers Mm -hmm. and I got really sick and I was in bed Tanya for 13 days oh my gosh 
And my daughter was at the time two years old. So I can't just knock it out of bed, but I, you know, the, when we, when someone with MS gets like a cold, like a fever and a flu type thing, it only takes about one degree of heat rising in the body at the core temperature to trigger the symptoms, which is fascinating, but true. And so having a fever, I couldn't, you know, my body was, was, it wasn't just dealing with the cold or flu symptoms. It was my body was struggling to move. And I was able to get up and get her out of her crib in the morning. I brought her into my bedroom on the floor. I brought all her toys and playthings and her mat. She could nap on that and food. And I, she sat on my floor and played and napped. And I was right there with her, but I mm-hmm. needed to be in the bed resting mm-hmm. or on the floor with her, but I couldn't be walking around and doing all these things. And it's just like, I did what I needed to do. I got up when I had to, I changed when I had to, I fed her when I had to. And that was the best that I could do. I couldn't yep. get out and take her for a walk. I couldn't, but it was a blip in time. Right. And the lessons learned is you just keep going. You just keep going. It's and you just- know, you just said something. We did the best that we could do. And, you know, we live right now in a time where there is so much mom comparison. Like, you know, you got to do the best gift basket at the party favors. Everyone gets a party gift. And I was like, not at my kid's party. Like, I'm not that mom. And that's, and I've come to terms with the type of mom that I am. But we do the best that we can. And I, you and I share so much of that same, I want to say work ethic, and it's not just about work, but it's just how we, how we face life. Like you get up, you get shit done. Like you get one day to feel sorry for yourself to lay in bed, but there's still stuff that's got to get done. And so we've got to do it. Whether we're, whether our kids are here with us or not, you know, like you said, when I was sick, even my kids' dad is only a few miles from me, but on my days where I was sick, you bet your ass my kids stayed with me. Right. And I did what I had to do. And like you said, there was probably a little more TV time during those times. There was a lot of snuggles in my bed. Um, And there were just, and you know what? I look back and I look at Lizzie, what I, you know, what I've seen of her and she's gone and she's doing amazing things. She's, you know, interning, looking to start this, a new, a career outside of college. I look at my teenage kids and who they've become at people. As people, they don't remember. Lizzie doesn't remember that those 13 days you were sick. But you know what she does remember? My mom was always here for me. Exactly. And the same, the same for your kids. I mean, Hugh and Lydia, I mean, look at them. They're good. They're such good kids. Right. Our kids are good kids. And you're right. They don't remember those blips in time. And I remember, you know, fast forward all these years when from that moment when she was two and and fast forwarding to 17 and she's a senior in high school and all these years through the battles of my ms the ups and downs i'm now going to leave for six weeks to go to chicago to have the stem cell transplant Mm -hmm. and i said to my daughter i said you can go to your aunt's house and stay there 
And she said, I don't, I want to stay home. I have all my stuff here. I never know what I'm going to wear in the morning, you know, all the little things. And I trusted her and we had that relationship Mm -hmm. and I said, okay. And, you know, imagine having the conversation of like, okay, these are the things that could happen. I had to redo my will. I had to be prepared that if I didn't make it home, which was a possibility Mm -hmm. in this kind of treatment, that she was set. And I went to Chicago and she did all of her college applications. You know, everything's online today. You don't write in the big envelope. And I wasn't there. And she did it all. But she knew that you weren't there in that blip of time. So you could be there to watch her kids fill out their college application. Exactly. And that was that was exactly it. She knew that I trusted her and she had gained enough knowledge about life to do the responsibilities that she had to do. And when she came to visit me in Chicago, the day of my transplant, the morning of my transplant, I said to her before she was leaving to go back to the airport, and I said, what did you learn from being here? And she said that I can always do hard things, that we can get through anything. And that, and I knew in that moment that everything I taught her, it, it would sunk in, everything. Mm-hmm. And the same lessons that I learned and that you learned that we get those moments, we get those few moments of pity and then we go, let's go, we got to keep moving. That was the lesson right there is you just keep going. You just keep going. Never and stop. You can do hard things, right? Like I have teenagers who live through COVID and- That's- I talk about, from my perspective, what it was like. I mean, you and I've had some pretty heart-to-heart conversations about what it is for us extroverts to have lived through COVID. You moved. My circle had to get tighter. But then I think about my kids. And not only did they live through the pandemic, they literally lived through COVID. They lived through COVID, right, because both of them ended up with COVID. Um, Yes. They lived through COVID. And I... You forget until you have middle schoolers and high schoolers the role that friends play in their life right now. Like, I know that I'm a very important person in their life. I know that I know that 10 years from now, I'm still going to be a very important person in their life. But right now, their primary important people are their friendships because that's where they get to be themselves. They get to kind of test those boundaries. And they're at that stage in life where they should be testing our boundaries, right? Safely, because they know they have a safe place to return to. And I want my kids to know their limits. So when they go off to college, they're not the ones that are getting the middle of the night calls because they've, you know, they're, they've drank too much or whatever it is. So I'm happy with my kids, with their friends. They have an awesome group of friends, but I just think to them how hard it was for them to, their entire social life stopped my social life didn't have to stop because I still got to go to work. Right. They didn't. And then we made some tough decisions to change schools. So we took my daughter from the public school to the private school where my son was going because they were offering in-person classes. And we took her away from her safety group of friends and said, I know you know one person here outside of your brother 
but this is the best thing for you. And it's been amazing to watch her blossom. Like she's got this whole new group of friends and all of these things she needed to do. Um, but they live through it and they have that resiliency and they have that, you know what, we can do hard things because they saw their mom do hard things. Exactly. And they saw their mom get up and do things over and over again and make things work. Even when they, even if we weren't sure how they were going to work, we figured it out. Exactly. And yeah. And I wanted to touch really quickly and briefly on boundaries because this was a huge part of, of my parenting. When the greatest story that I, I think you and I have had in the past, but I'm going to share it for our listeners is when Lizzie was born, I had a C-section. So I was in the hospital for four days. And when I came home, my mom had come from New York you know, I was in Arizona at the time. My mom came for three weeks to kind of help me, not to help me with Lizzie, but to help all the other stuff around the house for me. Because um, although my husband and I at the time were still in the same house, we were, we, we were like separated, but he hadn't moved out yet. So it was not uh, peaceful. Let's just say that mm -hmm. we weren't fighting in front of the baby, but there was tension. There was tension. And I remember it was the first week I was home and Lizzie was so quiet and I started to freak out. Probably the stress of everything else, mm -hmm. but I like had a total panic attack and I called Scottsdale North, which was the hospital she was born at. And I got one of the nurses who had cared for me. And I said to her, I don't know what to do. She never cries. I don't know when to feed her. I don't know when to change her. I don't know. And, and I was like freaking out. And she said, Allie, take a breath. She said, I want to remind you of something. And I want to tell you something. And you take this with you. She said, Lizzie's going to learn a lot of things from you. But what I want you to do is just listen. If you just listen, just hear her and see her, she'll teach you everything she needs. Tanya, I have carried that to this day, almost 21 years of her life. And I have always remembered that incredible nurse's voice on the phone because that's exactly what I did. As a parent, I knew that if I just really saw her and I really heard her, I could give her what she needed most because it was what she was telling me she needed and not, not what I thought she needed. Right. And, and that's a that huge difference. It's a huge difference. And it's something I see and have seen over the 21 years for a really long time. Like I've seen a lot of parents giving their kids what they think they need instead of really listening to what your kids are telling you they need. Even when it sounds like they don't know what they need because they don't have the wisdom, they're still telling you what they need. Mm -hmm. And boundaries, I read a book early on from... I think she was, she was some kind of child therapist or psychiatrist or something. Her name was Wendy. I think I'm, I could mess this up because I don't have the book anymore, but I'm, I think her name was Wendy Mogul or anyway, it was called the blessings of a skin knee by far. Hello. Even if there are other books out today, if you are a new parent, this is the book you should be reading the blessings of a skin knee. And then when they're teenagers, there was the blessings of a B plus or something that book was life-changing to me because from the beginning, it talks about respect. Mm -hmm. 
and listening to your kids. And if your kids say, I want to be a baker, but you want them to be a doctor and a lawyer, let them try being a baker. Yep. And it allowed me to say, above all things, this child will respect the rules of my house and will respect me in order for me to respect her. Yep. And I set boundaries in place from the beginning. I had, I knew people who unplugged their phones when their babies were napping, like there could be no noise. Well, I was going through a divorce <laughs> and I had no friends and I had, I was living out West and I, we had a target that I could walk to from my apartment. I put her in the stroller. We went to target and sometimes I walked around for an hour so I could uh -huh. get her to nap. She would fall asleep. I would pull the vacuum out and turn it on next to her bassinet. So she would learn to sleep through noise. Uh -huh. And today, my daughter could fall asleep anywhere on any surface. That <laughs> is crazy where they I sleep. Cherish that. Yeah. I cherish those things because it made her so adaptable to change. And she has yeah. said that over the years that, you know, we moved a bunch of times in the last few years after she graduated college, uh, high school. And she said, it's fine. I remember we were leaving our place where she grew up. It was 15 years I raised her there. And I said, Don't, you're leaving for college. When you come back for break, you won't be here. Do you want to like take a moment? And she was standing at the front door and she turned and she looked into the place in the living room and she looked at me. She goes, no, my home is wherever you are. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I did my job. Right. You, know? you did your job. As you were telling the story about listening, it it made me really think about Q and Q had lots and lots of ear infections when he was a little kid and nobody would know except for me. And I was like, he's got an ear infection. They're like, how do you know? I'm like, I can tell by the way he pulled on his ear. He never fussed. He never had a fever, but he would just do something. And I was like, I guarantee he has an ear infection. Sure enough, we'd take him in. Oh, he's got a double ear infection. And it was because I learned to listen and I, and in, in truth be told, I think when they got older, I had a hard time letting them talk. Like not like middle school and high school, not letting them talk, but letting them do what they wanted to do because I felt like I had to have so much control over not their lifestyle, but helping. I felt like if I wasn't in control of shaping them, that they weren't going to be able to figure that out on their own. So I really had to be like, wait, there, you know, you've done what you needed to do in those boundaries. You need to let them start being, you know, who they want to be, right? Like, and it was let Q forget his homework. You know, those are things he's got to learn. He's, the kid forgets just about everything he has. And for Lydia, it was, letting her learn how not to be perfect. And that was okay. Mm -hmm. And both my kids quit, you know, Lydia was a, co a competition dancer. Um, she's a beautiful dancer. And it is what some of my favorite memories are watching her on stage, but she decided to quit and I pushed her to stay and it was the wrong. And I could see that that wasn't the right thing for her. Um, and it was really hard for me to watch my dream of having my daughter be a dancer. Right. No longer be her dream because a few years ago, her dream was to open up a dance studio and teach dance. And that and dreams changed like, 
when I was a kid, I wanted to be a teacher and then I wanted to be a doctor. And my mom didn't hold me to, oh my gosh, you wanted to be a teacher. You can't look at other things. And so I had to just remind myself, Lydia's dreams are not my dreams. My dreams are not Lydia's dreams. And it's exactly. okay for me to be sad that this is over for her to be sad, you know, and to feel those feelings. But it's also okay for her to not know what she wants to do and struggle with that a little bit. I think um, I'm a natural fixer. And I, so having my kids struggle a little bit is, it's hard for me. But I also know that if I don't let them figure out that struggle and do it on their own, they're never going to know how to do it on their own. And they need, they need to work through those feelings. They need to sit in those uncomfortable feelings. Exactly. I have conversations all the time with them that says, you have a right to your feelings. Whatever you feel is your feelings. I don't care if someone tells you you shouldn't feel that because nobody can tell you what to feel. You can feel that. Now, it may be completely overreacted feeling and it might be a feeling that was brought on because you haven't eaten well or you're tired, but regardless, it's your feeling. You get to own that feeling. And then you also have to sit in the uncomfortable feelings. I feel like I grew up where we didn't necessarily talk about the uncomfortable feelings, just like you, my parents divorced. I was, my parents divorced when I left my first year of college. My dad basically had been living in the basement for years. In fact, I think he lived in the basement even after I left for college. Oh no, he had, he was living out when I was a senior, he was living in his other place, but they had enough, the divorce hadn't gone through until I was a freshman in high, in college. So I was, you know, much older than you and, right. and didn't have some of the same things that my younger brother who was in, he, he, he was 13 had because he had to actually do the whole I'm staying at mom's, staying at dad's, where I was like, yes. I came home from college, I, stay, I always stayed at my mom's house, and I just saw my dad, and that was just because that's just how it was, but man had to go through that whole living with someone else, but we never really talked about feeling the feelings and sitting in them, so I feel like, like when there's disappointment over a loss at a baseball game, and you felt like Q feels like he lost the game for the team, right, like those, those are feelings but if we don't sit in that uncomfortable and be like, oh, God, I really let my team down. I feel terrible about that. And just sit in that. We don't know how to feel because we've never taken the time to just feel it. And right. if you feel it, you let go of it so much. Or, you know, you let it go so much quicker than if yes. you try and just push it down and say, fine, I'm going to pretend everything's okay. But and so that's, yeah. Don't you find it? you know, this is what I find interesting because everything you're saying is a hundred percent. Like I could not, agree, I literally couldn't agree more, but it's interesting to me to know that we didn't learn that growing up. No. And just like your house, we didn't, my mom, we didn't talk about those things. And, you know, she was a single mom. She was working really hard to, to make our life and she had an amazing career. But we didn't talk about that stuff. My mother grew up in a house. They didn't talk about that stuff. So we didn't talk about it either. Right. And that was one of the things that I vowed to do differently with my child was to always talk about it. Always. Hmm. And, I, and when she was young, I used to say, you know, I, I hear you. I see the pain you're feeling. 
And sometimes it was over what I would have thought were the silliest things. Right. But to a young child, like you said, their friends are everything. Mm-hmm. Because it's not us. It's not the parents that are teaching them their identity. It's being with their friends is where they find out who they are. Who do they want to be? Do they like this this person? Do they like what that person's doing? Where do I fit in? Where do I not fit in? These are things that kids have to learn in their environment. These are not things that we, we can guide them and help them understand those things. But they, just as we did, you have to learn it in your own environment. Kids learn how to grow up around their peers in school or at camp. That's where they get it. That's where they Mm -hmm. really start to figure out where they fit. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, you know, I vowed to do that because it wasn't how I grew up. I wanted to give my daughter a voice from the beginning. Right. From like the time she started to talk, I wanted her to, you know, talk about the frustrations when she was frustrated over a toy. It was like, oh my God, I see that. I see how mad you are. Let's talk about it. And I think that helped because it shaped her into being somebody who can talk about her feelings. Um, when she was in kindergarten, I actually sent her, I put her into child therapy for a short time because I wanted her to learn about different feelings so that she could articulate which ones fit in. And I wasn't well, sure. She had been through exactly a lot in the, her five years. She had right? been through a lot. Her mom had been getting, sick. Yes. And I was going to get remarried. I was dating someone um, and it was looking like it was going into a second marriage and we were going to blend two families. So for her, I really wanted, it was important to me to give her space to articulate her feelings. Mm-hmm. And I wanted her to be able to identify anger is different from frustration, is different from joy, is different from sadness, is different from happy. And I really wanted that. And I wasn't sure exactly how to do it. And I had this incredible therapist who really helped her with that. And, and like, you know, we just, seeing her and hearing her and giving her her voice to validate and for me to validate how she felt instead of saying you should don't that's that's dumb that's stupid you shouldn't feel that way you don't need to be angry about that or you should be happy about that or it was what do you think it should be right and and that's something that i'll never stop talking about because i Mm -hmm. think it's really really important as parents that we stop we stop sh- making kids feel like their life should be our life. Right. Or, or we stop assuming how they should feel based on something, right? Like yeah. you should feel happy that you got this present from grandma. Well, maybe we don't know that so-and-so got a present. I mean, we You just don't know. We just don't know. And I hate being told how I should feel. Like nothing pisses me off faster than someone coming and telling me how I should feel. And I'm like, fuck you. You don't get to tell me how I feel. So why should I go and do that to my kids? And I I listen to be, I've seen it happen. Like, oh, you should feel happy about this. Or you don't need to feel sad about this. Well, let them feel sad. Let them feel their feelings because it's so hard. You know, and just, I think bringing that back to being a single mom is we have this different bond. And I'm not saying every mom and child have their own bonds, right? And and that mother-child bond is the most amazing bonding, is the most amazing relationship 
of my life. I have a lot of amazing relationships, but that bond I have with my kids, I could, you know what I mean? It brings tears because I am so lucky that I got to be, that I'm their mom. I'm so lucky that the three of us were this triangle and we grew up together. I rediscovered myself raising my kids. Yes, yes, yes. I can clap for Um, you because I love that statement. That's such a huge statement. I, I lost myself in my first marriage because I didn't have the boundaries that I needed to set up because no one's ever taught me how to do boundaries. When you grow up in an alcoholic home, your boundaries are blurred. Oh my God. That's and, the other thing is that we both have that similarity. So right. my, dad, my dad was an alcoholic and an addict and we, you know, we should tell people we also have that bond too that we share. So, And looking from the outside into my family, we had a great family. Like we were a well-known family in the town. Everybody loved my dad. He was a very fun drunk. My mom was active and volunteering, but what they didn't see was all the stuff that goes on when you live with an alcoholic and the boundaries you don't have and the roles that your kids have to take on because you have to pick up after your dad, you know, and things like that. Or oh, worry about the roles get reversed. Absolutely. The roles get reversed. Yeah. My mom is one of the most amazing people, but she was so busy sometimes in that and trying to keep the family functioning that I don't always know that she had a chance to see or feel how we were feeling, right? And so I, again, thinking back to raising of my kids, we just, the three of us, I loved being with them. Like my, some of my favorite memories are us walking to the zoo, just the three of us and watching. I tell my two kids, watching them play together and their imaginations and the bond that the two of them have. So they, both their dad and I are remarried and they have a gazillion stepchildren, stepbrothers and sisters, right? But there's only two of them. And wherever, whenever they're at their dad's, they're together, whenever they're with me together. And so they're the only two people who share that exact story. Mm -hmm. And so the bond that they get to have because they are each other's protectors is amazing. And it's so fun now. Like there was a time where they couldn't be in the same room together. And now they're the best friends, right? Like I tell them to go to bed and I hear one sneak into the other room because they have to tell them something. And I was like, just go to bed. But I'm so grateful that they have each other to be each other's support system at each other, at, at both of their homes. They're also very fortunate that they have four parents who love them. Like their stepmom has been with them since they were one and three. That's all Q knows is life with his stepmom. And she loves my kids and how lucky I am to have found someone who not only loves my ex-husband, but loves my kids enough to think of them as their, their own. And, you know, and also respects my role. And I, we are, we've been really lucky I talk about this a lot in the fact that when Quentin and I got divorced, it was messy and it was angry and there was a lot of hard feelings all around. But at the end of the day, he and I would look at each other and we said, all that really matters is the kids. 
I will get over my anger. I will get over all this stuff, but what we need to do is what's in the best interest of the kids. And that has always been in the forefront of my thoughts of when I've had to ask for something that goes above and beyond what is in the best interest of my kids. And I think because Quentin and I have been able to do that, we have a really unique relationship. Like we have so many parents come up and say, how do you guys do this? And we're like, well, we've, A, we've been doing it for 13 years. B, even though you wouldn't believe this, we were mature enough to say, my feelings don't matter as much as my kids' feelings do. And what I did when he wasn't there and all my frustrations I had when he wasn't there, I worked out with my friends when I didn't have my kids. Like, that's how I got through my anger was taking the time to do other things when I ha wasn't when I didn't have to be a parent right. because I knew I needed to work through some of those things. But I am so grateful that we said, no matter what, we're going to do what's in the best interest of our kids because I don't have to worry about some of those scary statistics. Like, remember, we had talked about the other time how worried I was because I had saw this statistic about children who grew up in a divorced home are um, more likely to do poorly in school. Right. Well, school's really important to me. Like doing well in school is a huge value for me. Um, and I believe in the value of education. I believe in the value of hard work and I believe in the value of an education. And so I want my kids to share that. And so I was like, oh my gosh, now my kids have all of this. And then I was like, hold up. You've made education a priority. Their dad's house makes education a priority. And together, like for most of the kids' life, we've gone to parent-teacher conferences all together. Like first it was just the three of us. And then when Tom and I got married, the four of us would go to the teacher conferences because we're like, we don't, the teachers don't need to do two conferences because we can't get together. It's like, we're fine. Like, because then the kids saw that united front, right? Like we're doing things we value this enough that we're going to sit together and listen. And that was the other thing too, is it just so important how that we continue to make sure that our kids are at the forefront of our decisions. Thank you for sharing that story, because I think it's important for people that to understand what you're saying and what that means. And mine is so different. So I want to give that example because I used to think about that all the time from the very beginning. Like, what am I going to do without a full family? Because I knew how I grew up with mm -hmm. my dad being an addict and an alcoholic. And he was here and he was there and he wasn't always present on the weekends. We were supposed to be with him. And it, it was just a real struggle. And with her dad being in Arizona and now we're in Philadelphia and the relationship between he and I was so tumultuous. Mm -hmm. And we did not talk as co-parents until she was almost nine years old. When he called the house, I handed her the phone from the time she was a little girl. There was, unless it was something specifically financial, we did not speak. I knew that that was not good for her. I tried very hard to never say anything bad about him in front of her. 
she did always hear us fight when he would call because he was so angry. I didn't have those places to go let my frustrations out because mm-hmm. I always had you her. You always had her. I had her Monday. I had her Wednesday. I had her Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a day off ever. Mm-hmm. And when he would come into town and he would take her for a weekend or a couple of, you know, four days over the Christmas holiday, which she would be with his family. She, she also struggled with severe eczema. And I always had to have everything. Like I would have to write out complete notes of how to do everything. And I would get her back after the weekend and her skin was a mess and she had eaten poorly. And you know, I was very, very careful with her food growing up because of that. Right. It would take days for her to come down off of that experience. I remember the moment that he called me after a trip home to Philly and he was back in Arizona and we had a discussion about something and he, it was the moment he woke up, she was, he had taken her to the movies. And I remember him saying, you know, what do I, should I do? And I said, take her to the movies. She loves the movies. He's like, I don't like the movies. I go, it's not about you. This is never, it's never been about about you. you. Yeah. It's been nine years of me saying it's not about you. And I remember that moment he, he said, he cried. And I said, well, it was an animated movie. What'd you cry about? You know? And he said, I didn't watch the movie. He watched, he her. watched her. And that was the moment he realized that it was about her and it wasn't about us anymore. And it changed our relationship as parents. Mm-hmm. You know, we co-parented, but we didn't. He gave right. me carte blanche to be what I was. And today he still sends me a text message every Mother's Day. This year, 2021, I got a message on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. No one deserves it more than you. And I know that, but Mm -hmm. it's nice to get that message that he sees it now. He really sees it. And I sent him a Father's Day message and I always say, thanks for doing what you do. Because even though he's not present in her life the way I am, he is financially present. He steps up. He takes care of every single thing she needs. They have their own unique relationship. Yeah. Um, he parented and, the way he knew how, right? He like parented he parented the way he knew how from a distance, the way he knew how. And he did what he needed to do. And um, they really have a very funny relationship because they are so much alike, even mm-hmm. though that's where nature versus nurture comes right. in. because. She has, she has things, she does things his way and she never lived in his house. So it's so funny to me to see how mm-hmm. much of him comes out in her now that she's an adult of her own. But it was, I used to say that all the time. It, it's about her. And everything that I did was based on her needs and how that would affect her in her future. Yep, exactly. And now today he is on his third wife. And I am so thankful for the woman he married. I don't know her well, but I've met her a few times. But what I can tell, what I say is now when my daughter goes to see him, there's this other person that is good to her and that loves her. But more importantly is the way she loves, his wife loves him, has made him such a better person. Mm -hmm a better Mm -hmm. father, a better husband, a better person. And 
our divorce was the best thing that happened to me because I learned as a single mother, like you said, to find out who I needed to be as, as my own person. Yeah. It led me on this journey and he's found this relationship with his wife now that allowed him to become exactly who he was supposed to be as a grown up. And I think it's amazing. And I am so happy for their marriage because it makes him a better person. And yeah. that reflects in how he is with my daughter. Right. And there's just something that feels good watching our children have a positive relationship with their other parent. Oh, absolutely. Because I know way too many people who, you know, I love what you said about how you never talked bad about, you know, Lizzie's dad. And I, and I think that's so important because again, our kids pick up on our feelings, our kids pick up on our words. And, um, Quentin and I have different strengths. I know that like there are things that he is really good at that I am not. He is really good at letting go and having a good time with the kids. And sometimes I have to really talk myself into having fun and I don't, but just letting myself let all the other things, little things go and just right. relaxing and finding myself in that moment. And he's really good at being in that moment. I am really good at making sure every, that kids are where they need to be. I am the organizer, right? Like, and so my kids count on me to do that for them. And, but it's so fun to watch them interact with their dad at the things and watch them both when they're neither of them know someone's watching and you can just see that the love that they have between them, right? It's, yes. And I, I love that too, because I get to see that now. Right. I didn't get to see that with her growing up in her early years, but now as a teenager and now an adult of her own, I get to see when she interacts and goes on vacation or visits her dad, I get to hear the funny stories and I get to hear how, you know, they have a, they have their, their own relationship. And like you, right. I was all strengths. I had to be the fun. I had to be the disciplinarian. I had to be the organizer, making sure she got everywhere and everything got done. Always, always, always. But it's nice for me now to see her have that relationship with him when they're together. Mm -hmm. I really do actually cherish that. And I, listen, I have people in my life that can say, oh, you know, he's, he was, he was such an asshole. And I like, he was an asshole back right. then. Right. But we've all changed. And my daughter is, I could say she's the best person in the world because she's my daughter. But I will say as a human being, she is such a good human being. Yeah. And, and that's because of you. It is because of me. He recognizes that. He has said that. Like, she is who she is because of you. Mm -hmm. And I'll take that. And I just say, you're right. Thank you. Yep. But I love watching their relationship now because right. it's important that even if he's not here physically all the time, you know, it's nice. I, I like being able to see how they've built a relation into their mm -hmm. relationship together. Mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. find that it's really important for me too to, for her to have that, mm -hmm. but to have it on her terms, not exactly, for me, not on your not terms, not on his job. terms. It's not for me to say, this is what you should be doing with your dad, or this is the kind of relationship you need to have. Whatever she feels comfortable with is the relationship she will have. Mm -hmm. It's all on her now. And I, and I, I let that be. Just to kind of wrap this up, I think there's so many good things we talked about here from 
letting our kids feel their feelings to us rediscovering ourselves to letting them define their relationship with their other parent, right? Like I think the one thing I really want my listener to know is you get to you get to own your own feelings. You get to own your responses. And I just hope that at the end of the day, you can ask yourself, did I do the best for my kids today? And your answer is yes. Were you perfect? Probably not. I lose my shit on my kids all the time. And I when I know that I've gone overboard, I'll say, hey, you guys, I'm really sorry. I was completely overreactive. I didn't eat. I needed to eat. All the things that I tell you guys that I that you should do that I didn't do. But I go to bed every day grateful that I have my kids. Grateful that they have a dad that loves them and this other family that they have a relationship. Grateful that the three of us got to go into this huge land family. And it's like my stepson hasn't been home in, I don't know how long. He's been staying at my kids' dad's with them for the last two nights. <laughs> Because that's the kind of relationship that we all have, right? Like it's, they're all teenagers. They all go, there's this gang and they just go together in groups. And I was like, well, I'm not going to let Carson miss out on that because they're staying at their dad's, whatever. It's like, we're like, yeah, go have fun. Like, we'll see you when we so see much. you. When you first told me that, I was like, that is so amazing. I love every, every bit of that sentence. Well, know? and I was talking to Lydia's stepsister yesterday when I was giving them a ride to work. And I was like, you could stay at our house this weekend. I'm like, I'm sure it's fine. Like, it's just, they're part of their extended family. Right. Which makes them part of my family. Exactly. I just want the listeners to know that, A, you're not alone. I wish that I knew social media was just coming to age when my kids were younger, right? Like, they don't have the groups that they had today where I could have made some connections. But I also, the other thing I want to mention as a takeaway is you may, I didn't have any family living where I live either. None of my my family are within a half an hour radius. So I had to create my family here. I relied on my neighbors. I had some amazing neighbors at my first house. I relied on my dance family and my hockey family, my daycare provider. She became one of my best friends. In fact, we lived with them for a while when we needed a place to live. So find a village. It doesn't have to be your blood family. Right. But find a village because you do need to take care of yourself. And you there are going to come times where you need to have someone come in because you have an, a work event or something come up. So you need to have that village to take care of yourself because you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of your kids. Thank you for saying that. And my takeaway is, you know, if there's, if there is just a few things that I could say from being a single mom that I think are the most important in raising kids, it's from the time they start their language skill, the first words, talk to them in a language that you want them to learn. Make sure that they are seen and heard validate their feelings instead of pushing them away. Set your boundaries. Kids thrive on boundaries and discipline. They thrive on it. When they don't have it, they feel unsafe because there's three basic human needs in life, 
safety, loving, and belonging. And they don't have them if they don't know where to go. So let your kids know their boundaries, where their safe zone is, where they can push it, how far they can push it safely, and teach them above all that the respect, they have to respect their parents in order for their parents to give them the respect they want. Yep. Those were things that were crucial for me. I did not budge on things. And my daughter will say, mom had rules and she had boundaries. I knew where I could push them. I knew where I couldn't. And it was always my safe zone. Mm -hmm. And that I just never budged on it. Mm -hmm. There were things that you could do and there were things you could not do. Yep. And I'm, I'm so proud of the child I have. And I'm more proud of the mother that I am. And I say, if there was one award we could get in life for anything we did, the award that I would win would be mother, mother, all-star mother, because it's the one job that was the most important to me. Absolutely. It will always be. It has been my favorite, hardest job I have ever done. Hardest job in the world. And without a doubt. it pushed me to whole new levels that I never knew I could be. God. It, it, does, you, found, you find strength in being a parent in a way that you may not find. And you, I, I agree with you. I, be, I went on a journey for these 20 years to become the person I am today. And at 50, I finally feel so proud of who I am in myself, mm-hmm. doing the things and becoming the coach and just like finding my place in the world. And I know that part of being able to do that was the kind of parent I was. Absolutely. And I love that I am telling my kids, hey, you can go and recreate what you want your work, your career to look like. Like you've seen me work hard. I've I've been talking to them since I started this journey of this, I want to do something different. I want to create a business around a legacy. I want to create a business of helping women help themselves. Um, And because I want them to see that, take what you're good at and make a career out of it. It doesn't have to be a mainstream nine to five. No. And I think, you know, for our listeners, we're going to get into a lot more of those conversations down the road. And honestly, Tan, I think we could have five more conversations on single parenthood. And I think this was a great start. start. And so I thank you for being vulnerable with your story. And I want to say to our listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, if you found value in this conversation or, and, and, or if you have questions based on this conversation or more, please make sure to rate rate the podcast episode, give us a review. We thrive off of reviews. Your voice matters so much to us. We started this because of all of you listeners. So your voice matters. Send us private messages, DMs, emails, whatever you need. We want to hear from you. And we want to know if you want more of these conversations or something in this conversation sparked another topic for you that you want to know about. Because I can assure you that Tanya and I can talk about it. (laughs) We can talk about anything and everything for hours. And I was, I'm going to echo what Allie said about message us. Let us become your village. 
we are here. We understand single moms. We understand the challenges. We understand what it's like to go through all of this alone, to navigate new relationships. If you just need someone because you are sitting at your in at the end of the night after you put your kids to bed and it was a hard night and they went to bed and you are sitting on the bathroom floor with a glass of wine listening to us and all you can think of is I can't wait for my life to be like this, message us and we are here for you. Like, we are here. We are. This whole idea popped around the fact that we want to tell our stories and tell them with you. And so take us with you, ask us questions, let us talk to you about our experiences or share your experiences. I want to hear your funny stories about, I love, love you know, your favorite single mom moment and things like that. Cause you know, there's things, I have so many funny stories. Like my, my kid, we were in Target and she was probably four and she's like, damn it, mom. And I immediately blamed her dad immediately. And I get home and the dog had gone and done something. And I'm like, damn it, Walter. And I was like, Fuck, she learned it from me. Like, those are little things, right? Like, yep, that's right. We pass on some of those things to our kids without even realizing it. And so share your funny stories. Share your, share your stories. This is a hard job, moms. We know that. We know it's a hard, hard job. We know how hard it is. We, and like Tanya said, let us be here for you. We want to be here for you. And that's why we're doing this. That's right. So, so thank you for joining thank us. Thank you for listening and being here with us. We can't wait to have you with us for our next episode. Stay tuned. Tune in soon. Thank you for listening to A Woman Redefined. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to things we mentioned in today's episode and to learn more about us, our sponsors, and where to find us on social media. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate it, and give us a review. If you know someone who would enjoy our conversations, please share it with them. Today's episode was brought to you by Allie Roberts Coaching and Schillerland Consulting. Join us for next week's A Woman Redefined Real Talk with Allie and Tanya. <laughs>